It's now time for Skagit Talks, featuring local news, interviews, and information from around the valley, created with the help of Skagit County community volunteers. Now, KSVR 91.7 presents Skagit Talks. Today is the COVID-19 update with Dr. Howard Librand, the Skagit County Public Health Officer. He talks about April 16 is when they're opening the vaccinations from age 16 years or older. There's an uptick in cases around the country and in our county. How the vaccine works, a refresher, and a whole lot more. In the Northwest News Report, a tale of two states. Dysfunction reigns in Oregon legislature while in Washington lawmakers try to get along. All this and more in today's edition. Now the COVID-19 update. Good day. Welcome to Skagit Talks. I'm Kyle Collins here, as usual, on Fridays with Dr. Howard Librand, Skagit County Health. Uh, thank you, doctor, for joining us again. Yes, thanks again for having me. Well, what is the latest out there in vaccine and COVID world uh, from your perspective as, uh, as Skagit County Health Officer? What have you been seeing lately in this news? Well, the good news is that the vaccine process is progressing more rapidly than we had expected. Um, more and more people are becoming available. Right now, um, we're currently doing the remainder of the uh, tier one, um, including anybody with um, comorbid conditions, um, anybody 60 and older, um, and all the previous phases that we've, we've had. Um, further good news is that as of um, April 16th, the vaccine will be, will open up to everyone 16 and older who would like the vaccine. Now, that doesn't mean that there's going to be enough vaccine available to do everybody the first day, <laughs> um, but that does mean that everyone who wishes the vaccine can start um, planning their, uh, you know, getting the vaccine and um, finding out where they're going to get it and doing an appointment and scheduling an appointment when the appointments are available. A um, little bit of bad news in the supply line. Um, there was an incident at one of the Johnson & Johnson manufacturers that um, an error that affected 15 million doses. Um, this was almost immediately identified and that batch was pulled off the line. So none of that vaccine that was was distributed, but um, it will about three weeks down the road, uh, lower the, what we thought was going to be uh, the, the number of Johnson & Johnson vaccine that was in the supply chain. So a little downward blip in the supply, but not a big problem otherwise. There's been some spikes in cases in some states around the country. Is this uh, more of the same? People getting too lax, uh, not wearing their masks, uh, opening things up a bit too soon? Um, what, what do you think? Well, I think there's three or four things going on there. First of all, I think last I saw 22 of the 50 states were actually increasing cases again. And in Washington, um, several of the counties, especially larger counties, are seeing an uptick in, in virus. Um, and that that's bothersome to the health officers across the state. Um, I think that part of that is a reflection of opening too much too soon. I mean, there's a way to open safely and there's a way to reopen unsafely. And too often we see 
that because people are allowed to do a certain activity, um, they somehow feel that they're allowed to do it without any of the protections that have become pretty standard, such as mask wearing and, and physical distancing. So uh, reopening is a little bit of a contributor to the situation. I think spring break activity was a bigger contributor. Um, in the college towns across the state, we're seeing an uptick of, um, of cases. And, you know, that, again, um, is an issue where what they're doing could be done safely, but they're choosing not to do it safely. So uh, same message is wear your mask and keep your distance. And then the third thing that I think is important is the number of variants. Um, that we're seeing. The UK variant is the most predominant variant in the in Washington state right now. And in some areas, it is accounting for anywhere between 10 and 30% of the cases in that area. Um, Skagit County is not immune to that. Um, we have, I think the latest count was 29 of the variant cases identified in our county. Um, and when you look at 29 out of the last two to three weeks, that's 29 out of something like 83 cases. So, you know, it's almost, a, it's a, somewhere in the range of a quarter to a third of our cases now are the variant. And the reason that the UK variant is more concerning is because it's more contagious. And um, that, that's pretty well documented in all the studies that are done. It had a 1.5 to 1.7 was the, the R naught number. Um, as compared to well less than one right now for the for the natural native virus. The other um, little more theoretical concern is it does appear from information coming out of the UK where this was a predominant um, portion of their, their third wave back in December that it is more serious and that people um, get more seriously ill with the UK variant. So um, the good news is that the vaccines uh, will help in all of these conditions. They'll help us be able to open. Um, they'll help us be able to do more social things, and they'll help us in the fight against the variant. If we get our vaccines, maintain our social distancing and mask wearing until the numbers start to go down dramatically, uh, I think we will come out ahead on this. If you're joining us now, I'm speaking with Dr. Howard Librand, Skagit County Health Officer. I have a couple family members who have recently contracted COVID, and they had asked me to ask you, how does vaccine work? I mean, it, it's, it starts in the arm. It's usually injected into the arm. And how does it get into the body? Just as a, a reminder, a refresher for those that, that may not know. So the, the two COVID vaccines that are the most widely used so far, uh, Pfizer and Moderna, those are both um, RNA vaccines. And what they do is they take a piece of the, of the COVID viral RNA, the piece of that RNA that codes for um, the spike protein, and it's enclosed in a little um, fat globule. And that fat globule is injected with the vaccine, or it is the vaccine. It's injected into uh, the muscle. And then the little fat globule merges with the um, cell wall of the muscle cell. And then that piece of messenger RNA um, sort of commandeers the protein manufacturing machinery of the cell for a few hours. 
and causes it to produce a little bit of the um, the protein, which is the part of the coat of the virus. Um, the the messenger RNA does not enter the nucleus of the cell. It does not interact at all with our cell DNA, and it only directs the protein manufacturing uh, system, protein synthesis system in the ribosomes to produce a little bit of that spike protein. The spike protein then um, makes the body think it's being attacked by a virus, and we then form um, protein-specific immunity against that portion of the of the um, of the virus coat. The mRNA is a real transient messenger, so it doesn't go really elsewhere in the body. It does it enters those muscle cells through the the way I just talked about, and then it um, it just destroys itself. I mean, it degrades. Um, after just a few hours uh, after its work is done. So um, the, the transient nature of the mRNA is part of the beauty of this because it makes it difficult to store, transport, and, and maintain the longevity, the, the half-life or the storage for, of the vaccine, but it also makes it so the vaccine enters the cell, does what it's supposed to do, and then disappears, only leaves its footprint in the form of antibodies that we develop against this virus. That is a thorough explanation of how to how to boost your own immune system and and get your immune system to to look for this, correct? Yes. And the Johnson and Johnson is a little bit different because the protein has already been manufactured and the protein is what's injected into our body. It's the spike protein of the virus and that's all it's not the whole virus it's not um, infectious part of the virus it's not the deadly part of the virus it's just that little spike protein and then the body reacts by forming antibodies against that protein now i've read that uh, pfizer is in early stages uh, clinical trials of an antiviral uh, this would be a an oral treatment against covid 19. i know it's not you know, there's no results of these tests yet, but what is the difference between an antiviral and what you've just described of the vaccine? Right. The, the, the vaccines are, they do not act against active virus in their body. All they do is set up the body's defense system so that in the future, the body can destroy any virus which enters it. Now, whereas antivirals can work in a number of ways, um, they can and, and not specific to COVID either. I mean, they 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 work to um, distort or destroy the the uh, membrane of the virus so that it can't replicate itself in the in the body. They work um, to make it so that the the viral um, genetic material can't um, commandeer the cell and you know there's a variety of ways that work i'm not familiar with this specific antiviral that you're you're talking about i just saw the headline but it um it works in some way to prevent the replication of or the complete formation of viruses within the body and as as time goes on i think we'll and it looks like this is going to be a promising um, possibility for treatment then we'll you know there'll be more information out about it and we'll learn more about it then Sure. How is the um, uh, vaccines in Skagit Valley and here in uh, Skagit? How is the the 
process going on? Is there plenty of uh, vaccine available and all that? Right now, um, what's interesting, if you if you look at the number of vaccines requested by the, the vaccine providers from the state and the number that are delivered, those numbers are coming closer together. Um, so we are approaching a point where we're getting as much as we ask for. Now, if more becomes available, we certainly can make minor changes in our in our plans for distribution, maybe in our hours of operation to um, deliver into the arms anything, any vaccine amount that can be delivered to us. I, I think right now we're probably running at about half of our potential capacity, but we're giving all the vaccine that's delivered to us and that number is going up every week. Um, over the next two weeks, we're gonna see a marked increase in Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, the national production is going to go from 4 million to 11 million or somewhere in that range. And um, that will really boost the amount that comes to our state. That vaccine is distributed on a per capita basis to the states. And then um, the state distributes on a per capita basis to the, the counties. Right now, we're a little ahead of other counties, um, a little ahead of, of the state average in the amount of uh, both first doses and um complete uh, vaccines that we've given. So we're looking good. That is great news. Thank you so much, Dr. Lybrand. I really do appreciate the uh, education and that you give us all here. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. And thank you for having me. We'll talk to you again next week on Skagit Talks. I'm Kyle Collins. Thank you and good night. Here's the Northwest News Report. It's been a fraught year in the Oregon legislature. Minority Republicans have walked out in the Senate and demanded bills to be read in full in the House. The contentious partisan atmosphere has made it hard to get work done. By contrast, the Washington legislature is in the final month of a budget writing session that so far remained functional. Dick Vanderhart of Oregon Public Broadcasting reports in collaboration with Olympia correspondent Austin Jenkins. This is Dirk in Oregon, and the first real sign of trouble here was on February 25th. That's the day minority Republicans in the Oregon Senate decided not to show up for work as a protest of COVID-19 restrictions. Democrat Peter Courtney is the Senate president. He unleashed on Republicans that day. They need to be here and do what they need to do to show their opposition on the floor and allow us to move forward. This is Austin in Olympia. For contrast, that very same day, the Washington Senate took up one of the most contentious bills of the session, a proposed ban on the open carry of firearms at the state capitol and at demonstrations statewide. This is a bill Republicans do not like. It turns legal gun owners once again into criminals. That was Republican State Senator Phil Fortunato. But there was no walkout, no efforts to disrupt the legislative process, just a fiery debate and then a vote. You know, the Oregon Senate actually voted on a very similar bill this year. But overall, Salem presents quite a contrast. This is actually the third year in a row there have been walkouts. And the real key to that is that the state constitution requires two-thirds of lawmakers to be present in order to conduct business. If enough members are no-shows, things grind to a halt. Yeah, that's not how it works here in Olympia. So long as a majority of members are present, 
The show can go on. So it's clear the partisan dynamic is different right now in each of our states. Yes, that is definitely true. I've asked political observers and current and former lawmakers why this is, and they point to a wide range of factors. But former Oregon House Republican leader Carl Wilson says it really comes down to one thing, relationships. It sounds old-fashioned. It might be a little quaint, but I do think that Uh, These leaders need to pay attention to the quality of the relationship they have with the opponent and, uh, and work on that. It's really important. And what's really clear is relationships are just not good in Salem these days, especially in the House. Republicans there have insisted bills be read out loud in their entirety, and majority Democrats have now taken the striking step of reading bills with a computer. Clerk will read the first bill. House Bill 2111. And this has led to some really tense exchanges. Here's House Minority Leader Christine Drazen in March. Is this an inconvenience? Is it an inconvenience? I'm sorry. You don't get to control everything. And on the other side, here's House Speaker Tina Kotek pushing back on Republicans for saying they're not being included in the process. No details of what's wrong, no details of what they want to be different. And so I think it's um, a bit specious to say, well, we're not involved. I'm like, the process is here. Things are definitely more conciliatory here in Olympia. I asked the Senate Democratic floor leader, Marco Leas, about this. He reminded me that it wasn't that long ago Democrats were in the minority in the Washington Senate. We've tried to really learn from what it was like to serve in the minority and bring those experiences with us to the majority and work collaboratively across the aisle. What's surprising is to hear the Republican Senate leader, John Braun, agreeing. We are really trying to do things differently here, even when we disagree, that we can work together, build comedy, build respect for one another, and hopefully, as a result, get better solutions for the people of Washington. Now, to be clear, there are strong differences of opinion here in the Washington legislature, and there have been tense moments. But relationships across the aisle seem to be holding up okay, at least for now. And we just can't say the same here in Oregon. In fact, it's been years since that kind of warm political feeling could be found in the state's capital. There's just very little trust and no obvious path for amending offenses. I'm Dirk Vanderhart in Portland. And I'm Austin Jenkins in Olympia. Here's 2021 Talks, following our democracy in historic times. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. We want to move forward, if it's at all possible, on a bipartisan basis. People have to decide if they're going to deliver or divide. And we intend to deliver. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain hinted that Democrats may try to pass President Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan without Republican support. During a Politico interview recorded by C-SPAN, Klain said he thought many Republican lawmakers could support the infrastructure projects. And polls suggest most Americans already do. But there is strong GOP opposition to the corporate tax hikes to pay for the $2 trillion legislation. Others have criticized the plan's broad reach, including green energy construction and $100 billion to improve Internet access. Representative Kevin Brady, the top Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee, told Fox Business that the bill is, quote, the biggest economic blunder of our lifetime, end quote. Brady argues that a massive tax hike on American businesses will hurt their ability to rehire workers. Republicans are also against a major voting rights bill that passed the House, and state GOP legislators have introduced more than 350 bills restricting voting around the country. Five of the bills have been signed into law, including one in Georgia. If y'all want to know which state is going to be the next Georgia, it's Texas. Stephanie Gomez with Common Cause Texas told a virtual panel that the state already has the most restrictive voting laws in the country. 
But yesterday, the Texas Senate passed Senate Bill 7, which would limit early voting hours, prohibit drive-through voting, and limit how local election officials can promote voting by mail. Republican State Senator Brian Hughes, who filed the bill, shared his excitement on social media. This bill is about making it easy to vote and hard to cheat. It is expected to pass the Texas House and be signed by Governor Greg Abbott. Hughes describes it as an election integrity measure, saying it would increase voters' trust in the process after the contested 2020 election. But William Barr, former President Donald Trump's attorney general, said there was no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Gomez from Common Cause Texas says there could be another big reason there are close to 50 bills introduced in Texas that restrict voting access. The state is shading purple. Texas had record-breaking voter turnout in 2020. Young Texas voters had something like a 600% increase in turnout. The Virginia State Supreme Court ruled yesterday that Charlottesville can remove two statues of Confederate generals, overturning a previous circuit court decision. In 2017, Charlottesville planned to remove a Robert E. Lee statue, which became the focus of a white nationalist rally. Finally, the Interior Department Chief of Staff, Jennifer Vanderhyde, was demoted after ignoring COVID-19 public health guidance, planning an indoor party to celebrate the confirmation of Interior Secretary Deb Holland. Vanderhyde will now serve as a senior counselor to Holland. For Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Laura Rosbrow-Tellum. Thanks for listening. Here's the national news. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, April the 2nd, 2021. I'm Mike Clifford. The Biden administration says it will soon release its American family plan into providing relief for working families. Nadia Ramligan tells us the plan is expected to include a national paid family and medical leave policy and expanded tax credits for families. Anna Pardo with the North Carolina Justice Center describes it as a national emergency as Black, Latino, and Indigenous women struggle to find child care during the pandemic while losing jobs in the hardest-hit industries, especially in states like North Carolina that don't require private employers to offer leave, paid or unpaid. On the national stage and in certain local and statewide races, we've seen this issue come up again and again. I think it's really gathering steam. It's squarely on the agenda of our current president, and we're going to do our best to make sure that that is echoed here at state level. She adds 80 percent of black women with children in North Carolina are primary breadwinners and caregivers. And they make up about half of the state's workforce. She says it's possible the Biden administration's second spending package could include a universal 12 weeks paid family and medical leave policy. More than 200 U.S. companies recently signed a letter asking Congress for a comprehensive nationwide paid family and medical leave policy. In the last year, folks in Utah have been caught between caregiving responsibilities and economic security. Vasu Reddy is with the National Partnership for Women and Families. Those folks have been put in this impossible situation of figuring out what am I going to do because I don't have access to this really common sense policy that would really help at this moment. Several bills to expand paid leave were filed in the most recent Utah legislative session, but none of them survived. And new restrictions to voting by mail in Florida could endanger the vote of anyone who chooses to use that option. Even though Governor Ron DeSantis touted Florida's November elections as a model for the nation, he's backing changes by way of House Bill 7041 and Senate Bill 90. The bills would require voters to make a new mail-in ballot request for each election cycle, and it would stop an election supervisor from sending a mail-in ballot without a request. 
Brad Ashwell with the group All Voting is Local says the bills also force a supervisor to only use the most recent signature of a voter on file to verify, which is against the current standard. The most recent one's a scribble, and the 10 before that all match perfectly the one on file. They'd be able to say, oh, yeah, this is the person. This would eliminate that capability and will lead to voters getting rejected getting disenfranchised. The bills are seeing bipartisan opposition from election supervisors, but are advancing nonetheless in the Republican-controlled legislature. I'm Tremel Gomes. This is PNS. In Wisconsin, more women are taking over farms and owning farmland, but they're not seeing the same outreach as men to help them learn best practices, including conservation. Despite changing demographics in agriculture, groups that support women say there hasn't been enough encouragement for them to sign up for incentives to adopt conservation methods on farms. Chris Marion of Wisconsin Women in Conservation says the new coalition she's a part of is taking on this cultural barrier. Until the 70s, women weren't guaranteed the ability to even own land or get, have access to credit in America. So we're playing catch up a little bit here. But we're we're playing catch up really fast. The coalition is helping women with technical assistance and other tips on accessing funding. It's holding a series of virtual workshops this spring, including April 6th and 7th. According to the 2017 Census of Agriculture, women make up 35 percent of farmers in Wisconsin, a double-digit increase from the previous survey. I'm Mike Moen. State officials making changes to this year's plans for statewide standardized testing known as MCAS, or the Massachusetts Comprehensive Assessment System, but some educators would like to see it canceled altogether. Passing the MCAS is required to graduate high school, although State Education Commissioner Jeffrey Riley is recommending the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education end the requirement for current 11th graders. 12th graders already had a pass because of missed testing opportunities last spring. Sue Sullivan, who teaches at Northampton High School, says she doesn't think a diploma should be based on a standardized test for any grade. The majority of kids that are not passing the MCAS that are struggling to get their diplomas are students of color in poverty and trauma. A bill before the General Assembly would eliminate the MCAS as a graduation requirement permanently. I'm Lily Bolke. Finally, Thursday was April Fool's Day, but as we wrap up the week, Eric Taganoff tells us today, Oregonians have opportunities this month to find out how to protect themselves from fraud. The Oregon Scam Jam is taking place virtually each Friday this month, starting April 9th. Doug Shadell, the AARP Washington State Director and a former Assistant Attorney General in that state, is hosting the first session. He says the most common scams right now involve the COVID-19 vaccine. It ranges from, we could get you an appointment tomorrow, but you've got to give us your personal information. And then they take that personal information and use it to exploit your credit or even asking for money to be able to get to the head of the line. Federal Trade Commission finds consumers lost $3.3 billion to scams in 2029, up from $1.8 billion in 2019. This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service. We are member listeners supported. You'll hear us at great radio stations across the nation and online at publicnewsservice.org. Thanks for listening to today's edition. Produced by Joseph C. McGuire and edited by Jay Charles. You've been listening to Skagit Talks, the community information and news program on KSVR, Skagit Community Radio.